Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half full editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host David Weintrich. I'm also half full. <laughs> Today we're talking about a special category of drinks, bartender drinks. Well, you might be asking, aren't all drinks bartender drinks? We're specifically talking about the drinks that bartenders like to make for themselves and their fellow bartenders. And any lucky bystanders who... Uh... Uh, happen to be pleasant enough to be invited to have one with the bartender. We've seen this over and over again where, you know, for whatever reason, you know, bartenders start mixing up something for each other or at a certain bar. Or they start it, reaching for a dusty bottle right. on the back of the bar that nobody's touched in 20 years. Absolutely. And suddenly the next thing they know, their supplier is getting an order for 10 of those. Right, right. One of the stories that I think of first is we don't think of it now as a bartender drink, and I wouldn't suggest ordering most bartenders a Cosmopolitan, but the origins of the modern Cosmopolitan sort of start as a bartender Very much drink, so. you know, according to lore, or, you know, I think it's pretty well documented, Toby Caccini's working, a New York bartender working at the Odeon in Tribeca, which was a super hip location, mm-hmm. that's uh on the cover of Jay McInerney's. It was the first hipster, uh, the first hipster restaurant. You know, absolutely. It's on the the cover of Jay McInerney's book, the paperback edition, Bright Lights, Big yeah. City. Toby's working there. You know, hears about a drink called the Cosmopolitan. Yeah, I think it probably came from San Francisco. By the time it got to Tribeca, you know, it wasn't particularly good. Wasn't you no. know particularly popular. For whatever reason, Toby's a very curious kind of guy. Started messing with it just for fun. It wasn't a drink that customers were ordering. It was right. a drink that was kind of like a little bartender thing. Yeah. What was cool about it was it had a great color. And unlike the things that customers were ordering, it came in a cocktail glass. It was straight up. It wasn't a highball. It wasn't right. a juice drink. It wasn't a Bloody Mary or a, a white wine spritzer that people sure, were drinking sure. at the time. And unlike the old people's martinis, it was pink. You know, it had some color to and, it. And maybe an easier to drink, you know, for a generation yeah. that wasn't, you know, used and it to didn't drink really cocktails. Want a or... whole glass of lukewarm gin. Exactly. And cool color, a little bit of mixology, yeah. a bit of sophistication. Well, I mean, you remember what the color palette was, palette was back in the uh, early 80s. Everything was like... Pink and turquoise. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was a musician back then. I remember going to the Notorious Antenna Club in Memphis, playing a gig there. That was like the greatest punk club in, in the Mid-South. And they gave us their T-shirts that were pink and black, <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay, that was cool. Right, you right. Know, That was the color. And so the Cosmopolitan was, that was just absolutely perfect. It follows like kind of that perfect arc. It starts as a drink just for the staff of the restaurant, mm-hmm. bartenders, the regulars start. Seeing the staff drink, you know, is the type of place yeah, yeah. where 
even if you weren't working, you still wanted to hang out there because it was cool. And, you know, you get the regulars who aren't in the business, start seeing servers drinking it, bartenders, the chefs drinking it. And they want to drink it, and suddenly everybody is drinking the Cosmo. Yeah. And it goes, you know, it jumps from, you know, just the Odeon, because it's such a hot place, to all types of restaurants and bars. Jumps to the Rainbow Room, where right. uh, Dale DeGroff tinkers with it on his own. Right. Make, it, famously he, makes it for Madonna at a party. Yep. And then she's drinking Cosmopolitans on national TV, or talking about them, and it's like suddenly everybody wants to drink that. I think that may be the most extreme example of a bartender drink going mass. There, there, there's but... some others that are kind of close. Uh, there are a lot of like those dusty old bottles. I, I mean, I think of Fernet Branca, you yes. know, which uh, you have, you got to go out to San Francisco. That's, <laughs> and Fernet Branca, my father was Italian. I spent a lot of time over there as a kid. And that was the kind of thing you would get if you had a stomach ache. Right. It was not a recreational drink. No. Fernet Branca's dark bitter, intense, pungent, sweet. It's a digestive bitter. And it was created as like a cure-all for yeah. like spleen pain from what I remember. <laughs> That's you know? funny, yeah. So like, I mean, it was literally, it was, medi- it was, it was medicinal. medicinal. It yeah. tastes slightly medicinal. Yeah, and in, in Italy, it's taken, as, it's taken as medicine. However, you get out to San Francisco in around late 90s, something like that. Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah, and the bartenders there, especially in Rico's Italian restaurant, as far as I know, that's where the Fernet thing got started. I could be wrong about that. But there are a couple of these old old line Italian restaurants, and the old customers are having little shots of Fernet after right. their meals. And some of the bartenders get to tasting this. And the stuff is hard to take. And that's another kind of facet of bartenders' drinks is there's this thing is like, oh, you won't like it. So we're going to like it. You know? right. It's like the customers. This isn't for everybody. This isn't for everybody. And so they start doing shots of Fernet. It starts to spread to the other bars. And it becomes kind of the bartender's secret handshake. Sure. You walk into a bar, especially late in the evening, and you sit down there and the bartender says, what will be? What'll it be? You say, I'll have a shot of Fernet. And they're like, all right, you're in on this right. joke here. Or if you're in the industry, you walk in. Yeah. I know this happens too. And suddenly, you, before you can even order a drink, oh, yeah. there are shots of Fernet on the, on uh, the bar uh, for on you. On the bar in front of you. I, I mean, do you drink it or don't you drink <laughs> I mean, you have to, I think. You have to. But it's I mean, early a, on, it was like right. it was a little bit of a challenge. For a while, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, Employees Only in New York was the number one account for Fernet Branca. They had had a cocktail called the Fernando on their menu, mm-hmm. and they took it off because nobody ordered it. Like, nobody right. wanted a cocktail with Fernet. So who was drinking all the Fernet? Well, all the bartenders who would hang out, Employees Only, every time they came in, they would be poured a shot of Fernet. So all the, you know, the staff yeah. and all their guests... Literally, we're drinking enough for net. Which, That's amazing. Which probably wasn't, you know, a ton because, you know, you could easily probably be the number one account in yeah, New York. Yeah, it didn't take like, a lot it, of work. But, but it's still, if you figure out how many shots of that they were drinking, you know, as, yeah. as an industry drink, yeah. it's kind of amazing. This idea goes to Chicago, and the bartenders there look around, and they see Malort, which is like Fernet on acid. It's super Even, bitter, based on a Swedish bitter, Beska Dropar, which is uh, wormwood in alcohol. So it's – and wormwood is about the most bitter thing imaginable. Yeah. And and this stuff, Malort, is like Fernet's ugly, mean cousin. 
<laughs> and uh, so they start giving people shots of Malort, and then they'll take your picture as you're drinking, it, <laughs> you know, to see your to get your Malort face. Right. And that's that's so it's it's like that's kind of the extreme of this stuff. I'm not sure we can, you know, I'm not sure if we can totally connect the modern kind of Amaro boom with these, you know, the the Fernet and the Malort. Can. But I think that it, it helps. You know, yeah. it definitely helps. I mean, I, obviously now. You know, there's a you know all types of people are drinking Amaro's. You know, sipping them, not well, necessarily. And now taking. you've got like on the New York City subway last year, they had an ad campaign. You know, beautiful underdressed women walking alligators out of bars and that with with Fernet branding all over. It. And it's like, wow, you, you've gotten to the point where you're advertising in the subways. <laughs> that's a little changed crazy. a little. Yeah, that's changed a little bit. You're right, man. It's another example of what was a you know bartender mm-hmm. drink becoming you know kind of mass or at least. You know, maybe not everybody's drinking Amaro's now, but all the foodies, you know, all of the people who are. They're nuts about it. All the chefs, all of these. You go to all these food and wine festivals and, you know, all these people, you know, are drinking Amaro's. Well, that's what happened with bourbon, which was nearly dead. And it got resurrected from those people. It didn't get resurrected from the heartland. It got resurrected from the cities. Sure. From chefs and foodies, you know. Japan. I mean, it's Japan. It's interesting to look almost like an epidemiologist following, you know, a a disease and how it spreads and where's patient zero and what's the, you know, how does this thing radiate out? Well, you could see it happening right now with the daiquiri, right? Yeah. So this is another class of these drinks is ones that were formerly popular and that kind of got forgotten or cheapened up. Right. The bartenders as their secret handshake or kind of doing the revived version. I think it started with the aviation, which was a forgotten drink around 2000. It involved two obscure ingredients or, well, gin was semi-obscure at that point. I was going to say, I mean, the whole gin, thing was obscure. Uh, yeah, gin, nobody was drinking gin, right. you know, except for old people drinking martinis. Right. Uh, and Maraschino was or really people obscure. people gin and juice, maybe. Yeah, you know? yeah. There, there were some constituencies. Gin was not sexy. Right. And uh, Maraschino was almost unknown, Maraschino liqueur. People were like, what? You had to go quite a ways to find it. Those two things plus lemon juice. And that became kind of a bartender secret handshake is you right. walk into a bar and say, I'll have an aviation. And they go, oh. And that was a pretty hard drink to drink. I mean, I remember yes. even for myself. Strong. It, and at that time, the signature color, we didn't have it. I mean, back in the day, the yeah. aviation was a beautiful violet color. We didn't know that until uh, I accidentally bought a cocktail book off of eBay around 2004 that had uh, the original recipe. It said it had creme de violette in it. Right. I put that up on eGullet saying, look what I found. And everybody said, ooh, creme de violette. Where do we get that? That's a perfect example because that changes yeah. the whole nature of that drink. Oh, it does. It makes it, in my opinion at least, a lot more drinkable once you add the violet liqueur. you got to be careful about it, though. But it but, but it, it just it, it, it yeah, rounds yeah. it out. It's yeah, it rounds not it as out. bitter. and But the original one, I didn't really care for it without. A lot of people didn't, but that was kind of the point. But that too. was the point. I mean, and you yeah. had all these bartenders who were like, this is an amazing drink. And yeah. we were to make it correctly. And this drink, especially depending upon where you went, was almost undrinkably bitter. You know what I mean? It was weird tasting. Well, because you use the the, the best Maraschino, Luxardo is very pungent. Right. You have to be very careful in balancing it. And people were just splashing it in. In like ridiculous amounts. (laughs) Like, let me put three quarters of an ounce of this stuff in there. And it became like a point of pride. Like, this is my drink. 
And in some ways, I have to say that Negroni is has sort of followed a similar path oh, where is. a lot of bartenders discovered it's obviously bitter, you know, category of drinks. It's, you know, the traditional recipe is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com one part gin one part tweet vermouth one part Campari. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, rem- I, I remember drinking those in italy in the early 80s and you come to america and only in like the most serious Italian restaurants yeah. would they do it. And then they'd have to get the recipe off the back of the Campari <laughs> bottle. <laughs> you know, Definitely like a period like in the 70s, 80s, where people were drinking maybe Cinzano or exactly. Dubonnet or yeah. Martini and Rossi, but usually on the rocks. Yeah, right? and or they maybe... weren't drinking this this like three-ingredient drink. That was right. complicated. No, this is, you know, club yeah. soda, if you were lucky, Yeah, you know, Cinzano and ice and maybe an yeah. orange peel. And that was, yeah, and that then, was the height Negroni of sophistication. Was like, you, couldn't, you could only get it in Italian restaurants. No, you couldn't right. get it anywhere else. Traditionally, right, I mean, you better than anybody could tell us, is generally an aperitivo cocktail. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, a, it's a late afternoon drink. In Italy, it's like the kind of thing you're sitting in a cafe at 6 o'clock and they bring you out a little dish of potato chips right. and a dish of olives and your Negroni. Although lately over the last 15 years, it's been replaced entirely by the Aperol spritz over there. Interesting. Because yeah. uh, the Italians want things with less alcohol, not more. Right. The Negroni has more alcohol. But that was originally what it was. It was like a before going to dinner drink. Yeah. It would be served on the rocks with a splash of soda and a huge wedge of orange. Right. It's funny because as it turned into a bartender drink. I remember seeing it very early on in San Francisco. You would find bartenders or the early cocktail geeks, you know, who were onto the Negroni, and they were having it all night long. Yeah. And they were having, you know, not one, you know, like an Italian, They'd you know, like, like six. Right. And you're like, wow, that's hardcore. Yeah. And it was almost like I can handle this much bitter. Yeah. I can handle more bitter than you can. Right. They start tinkering with the recipe. Some people want it. It's too sweet, too sweet. We want it more bitter. Yeah, yeah. Like dialing down the vermouth, increasing the quotient of Campari. Obviously, Campari loves that because um, yeah, people are using so. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and gin also, you know, gin was the other hip ingredient in there. So right. it was like it had bitters in it. It had gin in it. It checked every box. Have some, you know, new, cool, imported vermouth. You have the bitter Campari, you have some boutique gin or, you know, something like Plymouth or Tanqueray. And suddenly, you know, it's it's the perfect cocktail for bartenders and, yeah. and also marketers, too. Until uh, it kind of got kicked off by by Mezcal. Right. And But now, but then people are starting to make Mezcal Negronis. Right. You know, so it's <laughs> like, oh. Like a Venn diagram yeah, of, you know, bartender. But you're right. I think Steve Olson, you know, yeah, definitely. And, and Ron Cooper, obviously. Right, with Del McGay and Misty. Yeah, these people are going around pushing this absolutely lovely, not pushing it salesman-like, but just showing up, pouring bartender shots. At the beginning, I think, just begging people. Literally, yeah. like, forget yeah. about being pushy. Just yeah. literally, like, Try listen, this. 
It doesn't come with the worm. It never yeah. actually came with the worm. But you got to try this. Yeah, you got to try it's this. It's amazing. It's if different you, from tequila. Just give me five minutes, like yeah. five minutes of your time. I mean, again, it had the perfect characteristics for a bartender drink. It was kind of funky. Yeah. A lot of people were turned off by it. You know, it, it had an interesting story. It, it has real tradition. There's a learning curve. History, learning yeah. curve. You know, you could definitely go down and like also a rabbit hole. And it's delicious. Like Negronis or, yeah. you know, even in its own weird, awkward way, Fernet. Right. I mean, I'm going to leave Millard out of this because <laughs> I, I have to. But there's one that's like surfacing now which used to be about the most popular drink in the land and then fell on hard times is the daiquiri, right. which got, you know, prostituted. I, mean, and I can't tell you. I mean, I will make daiquiris for anybody. I love it. And almost every time somebody says, oh, do you need a, uh, a blender, blender for this? Yeah, do you need yeah, a blender yeah. for this? Oh, I, I thought this was going to be the frozen daiquiri that you're making us. What is I've never had this. For bartenders, once they started working in craft cocktail bars, right. the ones who had really, I think, good palates – started noticing that some of these simple drinks are kind of perfect. Absolutely. And if you take fresh squeezed lime juice and sugar, or I prefer sugar. Some people use syrup. but yeah. uh, Or but even agave nectar can, can work. Yeah, it's, I still prefer the sugar. Yeah. You know, the old Cuban style. And you have to have a good white rum, a really good right. flavorful white rum. And you shake that up with ice you and ever, strain it into a glass. It's just amazing. Do you ever use dark rum or are you... Uh, not for a daiquiri. I'll use it. If I'm using dark rum, I might throw some bitters in there yeah. or a splash of liqueur. I'll make it a little into something yeah. else. I really like just the original three-ingredient drink. But it's interesting. I feel like even the daiquiri, some bars have put a, I'll just call it a bartender spin. Oh, on yeah, the daiquiri, of course they have. Where, like, you know, um, you have a bar, Blacktail, you know, at the tip of Manhattan, which yeah. you know, is highly acclaimed from the Dead Rabbit folks. And their daiquiri... The the sugar, it's not that sweet. It's definitely dialed back. It's more of like a citrusy punch mm-hmm. with more of the, the rum, you know, forward. And, yeah, and that's more Cuban style, although they always add touches. Yeah. You know, they've got dashes of this and that Absolutely. just to, to kind of massage the flavor a little bit. If you get a good white rum, if you're abroad and you can get the Cuban Havana Club Three-year-old, that's that's, Go for it. that's that's very good in this. There are plenty of other yeah. good, flavorful ones. We we obviously did a whole episode on uh, Cuba and its wonderful cocktails, including the daiquiris. So Absolutely. Listen and to that if you haven't listened to it already. We go into much more detail on that. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a drink that bartenders have started doing daiquiri timeouts where huh. they'll shake up, like, there. there's six people behind the bar. They'll shake up three daiquiris and split it into, like, six right. little... Uh, cups and suddenly they'll you know ring a bell or something and all the bartenders will drop what they're what they're right. doing and run and have a quick <laughs> shot of daiquiri just to like kind of buck you up yeah but that's going to be more popular with the pot with the general population yeah that's going to get out i think it kind of see it as something like the moscow mule or some of these other drinks where you know they're they're so delicious but they're also so easy to make yeah and once people realize that and then they kind of take ownership of that and then they can start to make it yeah. at home the and... daiquiri takes a little bit of skill and taste sure. to balance it so i think that's why why it's become a bartender thing is like the pride is not that i can make one it's that i can make a good one right it's a simple drink it's only got three ingredients yeah but that also means there's nowhere to hide right well i kind of love the idea of instead of doing like a shot of whiskey mm-hmm. or I don't know, uh, vodka or uh, tequila or whatever that instead you're doing a shot of daiquiri, you know, yeah. it's your service shot, you yeah, know, yeah. the bartenders yeah. drinking and that. It's is. just kind of, it's kind of fun. It's become definitely like the latest of the kind of the industry yeah. go-to drinks. 
the bartender's uh, bartender's favorite. Well, that's always one of my favorite questions to ask different bartenders in different cities. Like, what's you know, what's the staff drink at the yeah. end of the night? Like, what yeah. are, what do you guys? And, and and it obviously changes. I mean, there's no one answer. No, and, there never is. And but... every bar bar culture has its own you know sort of uh, end of shift drink mm-hmm. or shot. But it's always such a fascinating thing to see as it goes from one bar to the next. And I remember. Uh, years ago talking to somebody i think it was about the liqueur tuaka you know which comes from like south yeah. africa and it's not you know not incredibly popular here and at the time it was owned by brown form and now it's mm-hmm. owned by sazerac but you know one of the reports from one of their distributors it suddenly blew up they had no idea why right yeah. they had done nothing you yeah. know yeah. different you know suddenly case sales have blown through the roof wait this has to be a mistake yeah what what's going on there right call up nobody knows okay who knows couple months later same thing happens in different town like okay we got to get to the bottom of what's going on here and what had happened was some bartender had come up with a frozen shot using tuaka you know it had become very popular with the staff the mm. people there then he moved he moved out <laughs> and then and it be and it happened again and it was one of those things where cocktail history you know there are all those missteps and other things if things had worked out slightly differently you know we could all be drinking to walk up frozen shots for 10 years absolutely absolutely that could have been the fireball of 1998 or whatever it was for whatever reason never caught on the mainstream but it's interesting to see how these things start i mean bartenders are the front line you know and to this day they still make trends yeah that cajun martini was a national thing from K-Pauls, it, because it went to bars and it became a bartender shot. Uh, I remember at the uh, Great Jones Cafe, the, sure. the New York City institution, been open since 83. That was on their, you know, the opening thing. Right. They had that behind the bar and it was like only for those in the know, you know, like the bartender. <laughs> if, they, if the bartender bought you a drink. That's what it was. They might buy you right. one of those. It's like, here, try this. It was amazing. I mean, Paul Prudhomme, you know, his... His blackened fish started its own trend, you know. Yeah, exactly. He, and the Cajun martini is basically I mean, gin or vodka, mostly vodka by the time it got to New York. A couple drops of vermouth and a jalapeno pepper, like soaked soaked in the bottle and taken out after a few yeah. hours. Nasty for hangovers. Yeah. I can only it had a very it. bad way of repeating on you. Right, right. But on the other hand, it was kind of tasty. Was there is there one drink that you'd like to see as sort of the next bartender drink? Is there Ooh, one? That's a good question. Yeah, I'd like to see people drinking Arak. Arak. Like Batavia Arak shots. It's it's so bizarre and out there. I mean, you yeah, want to talk a little bit about what it is? I mean, it's... You know, it's from Indonesia via the Netherlands, who used to, you know, be in charge of Indonesia. It was their colony. Right. So the trade all goes through Amsterdam. It shows up in a lot of old punch recipes. Old punch recipes. It's made from sugar cane and a little bit of rice in traditional distilleries down there and aged and blended in Amsterdam. It checks every box, I think. Oh, yeah. For it's, a it's weird. It's drink. funky. It's very pungent. It's got a lot of flavor. Big history. Well, well, yeah, well, big you, history. And, uh, well, if, if this starts, you heard it here first, that the Batavia Iraq, you know, yeah, if you suddenly see all your bartenders. Well, and, if you see your bartenders uh, putting shots out for everybody and saying, Iraq attack, Iraq attack, Iraq attack, <laughs> you know where it came from. If this happens, everybody owes you uh, uh, yeah. a Batavia Iraq uh, shot at every bar that you oh, walk God, into. I think this concludes another episode of Life Behind Bars. Ask your bartender. Uh, what they like to drink uh, as their yeah. as their final drink, and uh, maybe you'll get to enjoy one with them. Yeah, if it's slow and you're nice. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.